Sam, I'm not doing the improv thing. I know you really <laughs> want. I know you really want me to, but I'm not going to. Um, I begged for hours before this, Zach. How are we gonna intro this? And I, I had all these ideas, and then everyone I thought, you know what? In, I just, in the film universe, everyone loves a good mailman beginning. I'm not. A ma- I'm not always a mailman. You're always a mailman. You should do the same character every time. Hello, also, sorry, I'm the sorry, the cat's, the cat wants to get out. Uh, introduce us. One second, All right, I let the cat out. Hello, everybody. I am Zachary Scott Ferguson of the Ferguson Clan. Uh, to my immediate left, and by immediate, I mean many, many, many miles, is Sammy Lee Ferguson. All right. What did you say? I, I'm introducing us. Sam okay. is named Samuel. L. Ferguson. Yes, that is correct. Our parents were huge fans of Samuel L. Jackson. Um, He's not kidding. I'm not um, joking. Yeah, Sam was named after Samuel L. Jackson. Yeah, and you you don't really have that much interesting of a name. <laughs> no, I mean, my name was named, I was named Zach because my parents thought in 1994 that Zach was a crazy name. They're like, no boy is named Zach, and I know like three Zachs. Mm-hmm. I know a slew of Sams. Um, this is a very common name. Sam but is- I will say, uh, I mean, the listers out there, you can call in if you think differently. But I, well, I'm sure there's some bad Sams. I don't know any bad Sams. Everyone named Sam I know was interesting in some regard, and I feel like added some. Kind of Zach's fun. with Zach's with K's are insane people. They are the yeah. chaotic ones. They are the ones who go to jail or are secretly racist. Though you know, I gotta tell you, and this it's really hard for me to bring this up at work, like work. But I sign my emails Zachary Ferguson, and for some reason, everybody every time I like have to contact a doctor or something, they always write back. They go like, "Hey Zach," with a K. Even though I never, ever preface that I do it with a K. Moving on uh, from names and um, the the better of the two, which is obviously Sam. Mm. Um, mm. Do, did you say this two thumbs undecided? Yes, of course. Oh okay. no, I did not. No, I didn't. All right. Well, we're two thumbs undecided. If you guys thought that you were listening to Pod Save America, you're uh, right. You we are. Will... <laughs> <laughs> That's right. You're listening to Pod Save America. <laughs> I'm uh John Favreau is uh one of the people. Yeah, John Favreau, but he didn't he couldn't make it here today because he um was stuck playing a guessing uh he was playing a game on his pod say or uh what is it what is the show again? Fav the Fav four or whatever. I have no idea. He was playing some kind of guessing <laughs> we don't even know what it is. I, um I like him. He was be- playing some guessing game and he accidentally uh uh during one of his guessings he um got himself uh arrested for um yes larceny oh okay <laughs> all right well there you go i uh so this is this is your uh this is how you do improv See, this is this is I'm bad I'm, at improv. This is what I'm, I'm talking really about. <laughs> I was I was thinking 
earlier in this show, I'm like, you know what? I'm not going to do improv. I'm going to let Sam do it. And it, you know what? I I, uh, I thought it was good. I thought you did it okay. Uh, no, too. it was bad. Yeah, I, it was not. I, um, Zach has taken years and years of improv classes. I have taken a year of improv class. You did? You took I, an improv class? Yeah, when I took the acting class in, um, in like, middle slash early high school. Oh, that's all you need. You only need one uh, thing. Yeah, but my brain starts to panic, and then I'm just like, what is John Favreau? What is this thing called again? And then, like, is his name John Favreau? And I didn't even know what larceny was, honestly. I just learned a lesson. So, uh, but a little bit of um, news for us first, because uh, we're already kind of going way over with our just talking. Um... There's uh we have an interview in two weeks. We're gonna be so doing exciting. with acclaimed, seriously, and a huge big time uh poster artist uh, named Akiko uh Sterenberger. And uh she has been so gracious to uh come on our show. And she I mean, uh you probably know her best. Oh, I knew her from the Portrait of the Lady on Fire, uh painting that she made which is just like the fire but she she does a lot of her own uh it's a lot of more painting um and not she doesn't use she does it's not like a photo um she does uh it's i mean it's i think a lot more creative and interesting um she's the portrait of lady on fire she did funny games um, Funny games. Did, is, I, I enjoy that. Quite. She did uh, the last black man in San Francisco. She did that main poster, which is uh, the one, the, the the main one. Um, but she's, I mean, she's booming. She's uh, she's really uh, popping onto the scene. Um, so she's coming on. We're gonna talk to her. It's gonna be great. We haven't talked about posters really at all, and there's a lot to talk about there because I feel like there's there's a lot of mundane, boring poster work out there. Um, not including her. She is the future. I hope that she keeps, uh, she sets a precedent. I think Anyways, she is. Um, I think so, too. Um, so, also, film news. Uh, do you want to start? Yeah, my, um, my only film news that I have is uh, that there will not be a single Marvel movie this year. Which, the only good thing to come out of this year. Yes. Uh, you know, it's funny. I, I I retweeted every single time I saw that on my on my uh, scroll on uh, Twitter. Uh, and you definitely have people who are, like, sad, like, you know, like, oh, sad face. Or, like, people who are sad saying, like, people, like, let me enjoy things. But here's the thing. With no superhero movies, it gives more time... For you to kind of here's the thing like Mountain Dew is Mountain Dew is delicious right and they're never gonna uh, no ban, I think it's delicious uh, like so. people aren't gonna ban it and if you drink one every so often it's good it's okay but if you get too much of it you become fat and bloated and you know your heart don't stop no more that's the same thing with Marvel movies they're good ever so often but when you're oversaturated with that in superhero movies. Your brain becomes nothing but a superhero mush. Speaking of that's that uh, was mush. my soapbox, by the way. Speaking of superheroes and mush, uh, kind of a superhero. Uh, you remember the movie uh, Alita: Battle Angel? I remember it. Yes, never um, saw it. The Robert Rodriguez film. I saw it. Yes, and apparently, 
there's a lot of hype. Um, there's a huge fan base around it. I didn't realize this, mostly because I thought the movie was, as the kids say, bad. Um, I thought it was a very boring, uneventful film, and if it's purely loved because of its, you know, prime, uh, you know, powerful woman character, which is great, uh, I just thought in general this was a bad, bad movie. Mm. Um, and there's plenty of other instances where there's uh, women who are powerful and, and superheroes that are much better than this movie, but for some reason this movie particularly is getting a lot of love, and they're trying to bring it back to theaters. What? Um, they're trying. Yeah, there's a huge Twitter campaign um, to bring it back to theaters, and I think Cinema blah, 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 Cinemark is bringing it back. That's strange. Uh, That's a strange for, uh, bring back. Yeah, and I don't know exactly. Yeah, it was just really random. Um, also, they're doing a, a Latinx reboot of um, Father of the Bride. As one should. As one as one does in these times. Is Steve um, Martin coming back? Yes, he's doing whatever Latinx face, and he's getting a lot of... Uh, no. Uh, <laughs> or maybe they digitize no. him. Yeah, that would be... That would, I think, change... That would make him famous again. I think that'll be great for his career. Well, I think... No, he's not doing that. I think, you know... It, it, it's a Latinx family, uh, uh, family, but like maybe Steve Martin's like a, a a grocery guy. Maybe he lost his job and he's like a bum on the street, and he goes and he says something. You know, he says the line uh, like, "I was born a small, uh, I was born a poor black man or boy." Oh, you just combine all of the the Steve Martin films into one movie where he is not in the film. Well, no, it's like, here's the thing, because, you know, it's a woke society, he, like, the Latinx family is passing by this bum, and the bum just says randomly because this bum thinks, the bum thinks it's talking to a camera, but really, from our point of view, it's just a bum talking to himself. And this, uh, and the, the character's walking by, and Steve Martin goes, I was born a poor black child. And they go, sir, that is racist. Like mm-hmm. you're not like actually it's they, not racist. They're like, sir, that is really inappropriate. You're a obviously yes, you are poor. <laughs> I think but, they should then do a Clockwork Orange reference where they just beat him up senseless in the middle of the street while he sings a song. Oh, um, laddie and they, boy! It's the real yeah, it's the real Steve Martin. <laughs> and they they don't bring in a prop or a stunt person. They just beat up the real Steve Martin. Oh yeah, and um, as they're filming, they're like. This Part of the script. That's yeah. just a part of the script. <laughs> um, that would be so. so or, or I mean, there's a lot of news. I mean, the main thing, I guess, in overall news is movie theaters are in trouble. Um, a lot of the tenant, apparently, as I predicted, is not not doing too. I mean, obviously, it's not doing too great. But just from the people who have seen it, have told me it's not a good movie. Um, and. Um, I think Mulan and Tenet were like the biggest movies that have been released recently. While Mulan uh, did both theater and Disney Plus, it also didn't do too well um, with both combined because um, Disney Plus is really expensive. Mm. Um, uh, isn't it only nine bucks or something? Well, for like the basic thing, but you had to pay twenty. 20 to twenty five dollars a month to be able to get the special access to see Mulan. Um, also, Mulan just didn't look interesting to me. I just, I mean, it's just any of this stuff. 
that is Disney redoing classic cartoons, it's, it's, I mean, they should have learned their lesson from Lion King. Just make new things. Not all the stories oh, have been said. you know what? I have, I have, a, I have a story. Uh, not a story, but I have a, a, right, a, a news. So, uh, Gene Conway, uh, the co-creator of such classics as, uh, um, Punisher, and he wrote, or he was one of the contributors of, uh, the death of Gwen Stacy, the classic Spider-Man. He says that we should cancel all the modern-day superheroes, like cancel all the stories and just start anew. I agree. And I totally agree as well. It would be unprecedented, but it would very much just, it would look, you know, people would complain for the first two years, but then it would be a whole new thing to come to, uh, back to, like a whole new thing. I yeah, I agree. I think uh, you know New stories. It's, it's it's easier and it in theory makes more money in the short term to just redo stuff, but pretty soon they're gonna figure out that that is not that, that is not gonna work. No, I mean it's 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 you will always make money from superhero movies, um, but maybe this uh, quarantine will be who knows? Maybe it will be the death of things. Yeah. So, anyways, uh, before we get into our topic, which I'm very happy, I'm very excited about, um, we should talk briefly about the Emmys. Um, I had it up, but now I don't know where it is. Um, the basically the main thing is uh, Schitt's Creek swept um, the everything. Yes. Oh wait, here it is. I have it up all still. Yeah. So Schitt's Creek, uh, spelled S C H I T T. Um, so it's not sweat. you can, you can uh, say it to your friends. Eugene Levy, Eugene Levy, Catherine O'Hara, Dan Levy, and Annie Murphy all won for Best Actress, Supporting Actress in a Comedic Series, um, and Actor and Supporting Actor. Um, they all they all won. Um, also, uh, Watchmen did fairly well. Um, uh, you know, what's her face? Um, both uh, Regina King and Yahya Abdul Mateen II, um, one uh, who played uh, Dr. Manhattan. Um, and both uh, Watchmen and um, uh, the Schitt's Creek won for best uh, uh, series. Well, Watchmen won for best uh, outstanding limited series. And Schitt's Creek won for Outstanding Comedy Series. Um, and, of course, John Oliver won and RuPaul's Drag, Bla- Dra- ah, Drag Race won, which always wins. Um, so that's not a surprise there. Um, so, yeah. Um, that's, I mean, that's it for film news. Obviously, there's a lot of things happening in the world. But um, in film, that's about it. Um, so Very let's good. transition now to our topic because we've been talking for a while and we did a lot of research for this topic. Um, I'm very excited about this because I knew next to nothing about this dude. Um, And I feel like he is a figure in history that a lot of Americans don't know much about. Like at Uh, all, yeah. I would not... Like at all. Yeah. Um, Except maybe the movie-going, like the the movie-going people. Yeah, I mean, from our generation, I don't... So, his name is Matthew Bolton. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you didn't even (laughs) get that name right it's michael bolton 
And the guy Powell. we're talking about is Michael Powell. <laughs> you got none of it right. You. I'm really bad with M names. I'm I'm having a bad day. What is I'm going sorry. on with you? I woke up. I I I was working fairly late last night. So, Michael Powell oh. is the guy, and um, Michael Powell uh, really was the the prominent British. He's British. He was the prominent prominent British director from the late 40s to like the the mid 50s in 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 maybe Europe but maybe the world like I'm I cuz in my mind I always think movies from the 40s that is the decade in my mind when it comes to movies that it's not good movies movies from the 40s for the most part especially american movies it's a lot of propaganda a lot of rah rah america fight the nazis kind of stuff well, you d- you definitely get that with uh, this guy's films. You do, but because a lot of his movies were commissioned by, I mean, ob- like Britain is, it's a little bit more state-run stuff than in America. But still, a lot of his stuff was was commissioned. Like, um, 49th Parallel was commissioned by the, um, what's it called? Uh, the 49th Parallel was commissioned by, which was one of his early movies was commissioned by the the britain um my favorite movie a matter of life and death was commissioned by britain but he's able to take these commissioned works and um he turns them into something very personal and something very he 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 makes something very personal and 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 uh, deep with these movies um and i don't know i don't know if we want to go over his history like give a little background about the dude or Something like that. Uh, yeah, no, we can talk a, li- a little bit about uh, his, you know, how he rose to power, if you will, uh, and then his decline from power, um, and then his meet of uh, Emmerich Pressburger. Because honestly, this should be a Michael Powell and Emmerich Pressburger. Yeah. So, but, well, Emmerich Press, it is. I mean, it did veer. Um, I don't really know any but, solo Emmerich Pressburger movies. I don't think he did. He that. did some. He did. He did. He did some directing stuff. But they're um, they're not really a like like peeping no. Tom and bleh, I'm trying to think of another. But like, he yeah, Michael yeah. Michael Powell's solo career was so. He started off as um uh he was just kind of he made his way into um making some silent films, making some title stuff. Um, and a lot of the stuff was, sorry, Mm. a lot of the stuff was commissioned, um, or not commissioned. A lot of the stuff was, he, he was making a lot of low budget, um, thriller movies. Like at the time, uh, in like the, in the twenties and in early thirties, like there was a lot of mafia movies kind of was making big in America and thrillers were kind of the his entryway into things. Um, and this was, this was, he started his career in like the mid to late twenties as like an assistant. And then he started working as a, um, as like a low budget thriller director. Also, none of the stuff was his own personal stuff and none of, none of what he was working on. He liked, it was a lot of pulp, like a pulp fiction, like not the actual movie, but like the term, the pulp, it was pulp (laughs) fiction. It was just very easy to consume. He didn't direct pulp fiction. No, or did he? Um, 
No, he died in 1990, so he didn't. Um, but, uh... And then the first movie that he made that he says, and a lot of people, I mean, so it, his first movie that was his first, like, personal movie that he was like, I'm going to make, uh, was came out in 1937. It was called The Edge of the World, which is what one of the movies I watched. Um, did. And The Edge of the World... Um, was really good. I mean, it was, it was, it's about, uh, apparently he saw, like, he read some news about there was some island um, in which everyone got evacuated because they started realizing that their way of life, they couldn't survive um, with things being so modernized um, outside. Like, there, there was no way c- continuing being a self-contained um, nation uh, inside this, this island. They had to leave and kind of connect back uh, in 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 return and go to society quote unquote um mm. so that was what the movie was about and it, it it follows these two young men who um well at first one young man but then another young man they both decide that they want to leave the island and it kind of influences the older generation so it's more of this like this con throughout the whole movie it's this conflict between the young these two young men and the older generation on why we need to leave this island um and there's something i mean this like a lot of the story matter and how especially like how the women were portrayed obviously wasn't that great there wasn't a lot of strong women characters it was mostly focused on the men and it was mostly focused on uh you know macho men kind of mentality but a lot of the shots in the movie were so different from what was going on at the time. Like, it was a lot of still shots, a lot of just looking at, like, grass and, like, tall grass flowing in the wind and then panning to, like, see a a, a baby. And there's a lot more metaphor in, the, um, in, the, in how the camera worked. And there was, you know, dolly shots. There was shots in which it was craned up and down. Um, in very dramatic and interesting ways, um, there's this one scene where this old man, uh, and this is uh, this is why I think it's a, it's slightly an indie, because it um well it is an in- well it's kind of indie, but yeah. he walks over from um there's like a crowd of people dancing and having a good time because someone just gave birth, um so the guy is like walk like and then on the other side there's a guy or the the, the person that just gave birth is is looking off into the sunset. Um, and is kind of concerned because her husband is gone, um, or the father is gone, and he walks over to her, and it's it's a dolly or a tracking shot, and so it's it's continuous. And as he's walking over to her, he does like this little dance that's kind of funny, and I was just like, it's a dance, it's indie. Oh, I see. Wow. <laughs> and I was like, great, they used it, and it's like one of those dances that I think you've heard me talk about this many of times, but it's like a dance that probably was not. You know, it wasn't choreographed at all. It was just him just did a little improvised little ditty, little improvised dance there. So, but it's a great movie, and that kind of launched his career. Hmm. If you want to take over well, after gl- that, yeah. Well, so first off, uh, this guy Michael Powell was a still photographer for uh, Alfred Hitchcock on one of his movie- earlier movies, uh, The Champagne. In- so you know he was around the blocks with the the greats. Um, he also wrote um, for the movie Blackout. They co-wrote together, Hitchcock and him, 
Um, oh wait, no, never mind. Not okay. Blackout. Uh, we'll just edit that out. Another movie. So no. um Okay. <laughs> so anywho, um, Michael Powell rises to fame after not rises, but gets these great opportunities after the edge of tomorrow, uh, or live die repeat. Uh, wait, what's the movie? Yeah, that's yeah. The edge, Tom Cruise movie. The Edge of the World. Um and then he's given uh, you know, they're like, you know, we are going to help you help yourself. So he mm-hmm. directs some after this, you know, he directs other s- such stuff like you may have never heard of The Spy in Black, The Lion Has Wings. He did do Blackout, but he directed it. Um, And then the movie I believe that kind of really, in my opinion, like the most famous movie he's done, his first super famous movie is The Thief of Baghdad, which is definitely a adventure, like super, it's kind of like a blockbuster, if you will. Yeah. Um, Before blockbusters, but yeah. These are the, yeah, these are the movies that super young, uh, the directors who went on to like rewrite uh, Hollywood. This is probably what they were watching, uh, and I've not seen it. It is on Criterion, not the channel, but it is on Criterion Collection, and I I want to watch it one day. It looks it w- looks interesting, but then he does Forty Ninth Parallel, which I have not seen, but that that's another one of his like really hit big hits. Uh, it's about a like a World War Two U boat crew. That's uh, stranded in northern Canada, uh, and they gotta make their way to uh, to the U.S. Which movie is this? This is called Forty Forty Ninth Parallel. Th- it, yeah. It well, before we get into Forty Ninth Parallel, I mean, we have to talk about Eric uh, Pressinger. Well, um, we're technically we're we were just about to get like I was well, just he about was, to. He was. They they made a. They. I mean, the Forty Ninth Parallel was one of the first films that they did. Uh, together, but go ahead. Sorry. Um. No, uh. Yes, they did do it together. Okay, you're right. We do have to get into uh, Ermic Pressburger, um, who they are like best friend. I don't know if they were best friends, but they, you know, they worked. They were best friends. They were they were bosom buddies. Yeah. Uh, if you went to a Hollywood party and you saw Michael Powell, you'll be like, ugh, like, bosom buddies. There's Pressburger. Yeah, um. <laughs> you would sigh at Pressburger. Pressburger was a uh, 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 a hung. He was a um, uh, what's it what's it called? Someone who runs away from. No, he was a Hungarian, but he was a refugee because he was running away from Hitler at the time because he really? was Jewish. Yes, um, he ran away uh, in the mid to late thirties. Um, wow, and he... so that that adds on to a lot of what the movies they make. Yeah. So he, uh, they met on the film The Spy in Black, um, which I was, I watched a few interviews with Powell in which he described about their meeting in which, uh, he was set to direct and the, they brought on Emmerich Pressenberger, Pressburger for, um, to give notes on the script. And apparently Emmerich was like a very soft-spoken man and he like pulled out a roll of paper and it was just a giant scroll, but it was it was a small, but it was like this giant, you know, kind of like a receipt that's like really long. And he pulls it out and he just slowly 
brings like scrolls down on on the on his scroll on his tiny scroll and just reads off every all of his notes and he changes the whole story he changes switches genders he changes everything really and in that moment powell was saying he was captivated by him and he was like i'm gonna work with this man for the rest of my life and they they um they basically they did. did yeah um they they worked on contraband and 49th parallel together but the uh, 49th um, parallel uh he Emmerich was a writer not the director but yeah he was, so he was probably 49th a little parallel bit of a director on the side and contraband um were their first two workings together and how their 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 partnership started working is they um the Emmerich was more he was the writer um, and then uh, Powell was the director. And then after 49th Parallel, that's when they formed uh, the Archers. Um, and the Archers was kind of was like their, their namesake for that was what their, their team became known as. And from then on, it became written, produced and directed by Michael Powell and Emmerich Press, Pressburger. But um, Michael Powell was the actual director, but Emmerich was the writer and editor. Um, or co-editor, he helped oh, really? in the editing process. Yeah, he was. He was. He liked working with the music. Um, Emmerich Pressinger was also uh, played in 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 the orchestra as well. Yeah, he was a um, he was a music freak. Yeah, he so he loved, um, especially later on in their career, they started incorporating a lot more music. Um, but uh, and Michael Powell was more of like the 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 figure the the figurehead of the two like he was the one that like went to all the press junkets and stuff right which is why um, I, I feel bad that we're doing only on Michael Powell but it should be it should almost be like Michael Powell and then also Emmerich Pressenberger yeah I mean yeah but I mean each man is so complicated so it's kind of hard to also there's a uh, lot more that I know about Michael Powell yeah. Um, and I mean, the, the archers was kind of just given free reign by, um, I think it was called rank, um, the distribution company. Um, what was it called? There, uh, there's a distribution company. Do you know this at all? Uh, no. Rank. Oh. All right. So you talk a little bit about, I'm going to look this up. All right. So people now. Um, so they do 49th Parallel, and people are, like, freaking out because it's so good. Um, so the next movie they do, the next, like, well, there's one of our aircraft is missing, but I don't know about, but the big, next big one, it's like an epic, is The Life and Death of Colonel Blimp. Sam and I both saw this. I saw this, like, two days ago, um, and I loved it. It's a two-hour and 45-minute movie. Um, or at least the one I saw, and it's about this colonel throughout his whole entire life, well, not his whole entire life, but uh, from being, like, a 35-year-old sergeant to when he's a, like, a very old man working for uh, the British uh, front in World War II. Mm-hmm. And the life, uh, life and death of Colonel Blimp uh, is... Came out in 1943. By the way, my only criticism of this movie is, okay, spoiler, Colonel Blimp doesn't die. Also, his name his name isn't Colonel Blimp. Is his name <laughs> Colonel Blimp because he's fat? 
I don't get. I I tried looking it up. Why is it called Colonel Blimp? His name is like Candy something. It's it honestly sounded like a stripper's name. I mean, in, in my mind, I didn't I didn't love the movie either when I watched it. It's been a it's been about two years since I watched it. Um, but this was the movie that um got him. Well, he was already kind of famous at the time, but I think this movie cemented him and uh Pres- Pressenberger um as people like uh, as legit like worldwide uh phenomenons um and this is actually the movie the reason I knew of this movie was there's a there's a YouTuber named Casey Neistat who when asked what is his favorite movie he said the life and death of Colonel Blimp I need and I was like that's surprising attack and- that man <laughs> Sorry, no, it's and a I good movie. Like, it's a good movie. I said to myself, that's surprising. I've never heard of that I movie. just feel like he I would feel like say a YouTuber that would... only just to get one clickbait, which it worked. What, who's clickbaiting the life and death of Colonel Blimp? Like, I am. A... I hate okay. him because it worked on me. I feel well, like anyways, a fool. So I watched it for that reason. I didn't know anything about Michael Power, Powell. Um, and the best part about it was the fencing scene. Um, which I think is when you see clips of it, you'd normally see the fencing scene. Um, I thought in general, Michael Powell, when asked, like, what did, what did you like the movie? Also, apparently, um, the, uh, Churchill and the British government did not like this no, movie. No, they hated it. And, and they, they wanted to get it They didn't cut. They didn't get it approved. It was like an unapproved, yeah. um, movie, which uh, is another, like, the more I researched about Michael Powell and Emmerich, Pressenberger, they seemed kind of like rogue agents, because we'll yeah. talk about later on uh, the movie Peeping Tom, which is all Michael Powell. Um, that was that was also a very controversial thing, but we'll talk about that I later. Mean, a lot of their movies, though, are very British and are, are oh, fairly pro-British. They're, they're super. I mean, they're like if you. I mean, they're like the stereotypical British of like tea time, everybody. Yeah, and like you watch the the uh, Canterbury Tale, right? Which is and that, that's when they extremely British. Yeah, that's. I like, mean, it's a it's, British. It's based it, on a British book. I mean, like it an is old, old British book. But it's like it's also super British. Canterbury Tale is also that came out uh, in forty four, so two years after. That's also Emmerich Pressenberger and Michael Powell, but um. No, this okay. I just want to say the Canterbury Tale is a strange film because it opens it it has three characters. Uh two of them are British and then one of them is an American soldier and this American soldier, he talks in my opinion like um the guy from Heathers. Oh, I should know this guy's name, Heathers. Um Christian Christian Slater. He talks kind of like this. And he, he's mm-hmm. he, he kind of has this face. He's like, I don't know what's going on, but uh, you British people are really, really weird. I gotta tell you. Um, but the whole thing is, this British guy comes to Canterbury, or he's trying to get to Canterbury, and he stops in this town, um, and all, and he meets this girl, and all of a sudden, out of the darkness, some guy puts glue on her hair, and I'm like. The, the, and so ha- the entire movie is them trying to find the glue man. They're like, where's the glue man? They they also recruit a bunch of kids, which is cute for 1944. But if someone did that today, it would be like, okay, like if my kid came home and said, 
or like I asked my kid, "What did you do today, son?" and be like, "Oh, uh, this man, <laughs> this this man recruited me to find a glue man." I'm like, "Okay, <laughs> that's that's code for uh, sex rate or like child." Glue man. Yeah. That's the other thing. Is my messed up mind the entire time I'm hearing glue? It, I'm I'm thinking, you know, I'm thinking they're doing PCP or something. I'm well, like, no, what I'm, is this? Well, glue man. Here's the thing. Because everything is so warped and disgusting today. If someone puts glue in your hair and runs away, it's like some sicko. You know, it's not glue. If you get my yeah, drift, that's probably, yeah. Um, um, oh, so, but, anyways, that no, was your takeaway of. Oh no, movie. no, it's <laughs> it's a good movie. It's just such a it's a, such a weird movie that basically the entire time they're just finding trying to find this glue man, and it finds out that it's like this really like smart guy who's just putting glue in people's hair, uh, so soldiers have less time spending with women and more time going to his lectures. Yeah, it honestly, this guy. Like, in 1944, all this seems, like, understandable. But in my opinion, it's this simp who is sad nobody comes to his lectures about soil. <laughs> and so he, he he puts glue in women's hair. It's, it's, yeah. Also, I want to go back and I, I want to say that I was right. The organization is called the Rank Organization. That was the distrib- distributors. And when they opened before, you know, the classic logo of, like, shooting the bow and arrow at yeah. the, the thing, there's a giant man who hits a gong. Oh, right. And that's that's the logo for the Rank Organization, which was the – it was it became the largest and most vertically integrated film company in the United Kingdom, owning, producing uh, – owing produ- produ- production distribution and ex- exhibition facilities. So this was like the UK version of the studio system was rank. But years later, Scorsese um, said that um, Powell and Pressburger's uh, collaboration was one of the greatest anarchies in the studio system because they had basically free reign to do whatever. So anyways, the next movie after... And he... I mean, they're doing movie after movie. Like, sometimes they're doing two movies in a year... So the movie that I watched after that, because after Ken and Barry Tale, it was I Know Where I'm Going, which came out in 45, which we didn't watch, but it's it's highly, you know, uh, ranked and loved. But the movie I watched and I loved was called A Matter of Life and Death. And I think this might be my favorite. Where did you see that? Um, It was hard to find, I'll say. Um, I I also really want to watch that movie. I found it on YouTube and it was a low quality version. No. Um, and which is kind of annoying and it's not my, you know, I looked high and low to find this movie. Sam, it's not your fault. It's, it, it is, it was hard to find. The only place I can find it was either daily motion or YouTube. Why did you Um, not buy it? You couldn't buy it. There was no place to buy it either. Really? There was no place to buy it. Not even Amazon? No. Jeff Bezos is denying us a matter of life and death. So uh, you can buy it on disc on Amazon. Um, oh, but so matter sick. of life and death was commissioned by the, the UK to basically bolster relationships with the United States. Um, Cause the whole premise is, and that was kind of like the whole thing is like, just make better relationships with the United States with the UK. And, um, the whole premise is this person 
and it's just so beautiful. Like the it was originally called, or it was um it the United States changed its names to Stairway to Heaven, um because I guess death was too scary. <laughs> um, so they uh, but there's a giant scene where like they're on the steps going up into heaven, and it was it's I mean it's it I feel like uh, Big Lebowski took took from this because it's just a gorgeous scene. It's like an e- escalator that's just going up. Um, and for some he- reason, heaven is in black and white, and then Earth is in Technicolor. Huh. Um, it's pretty but cool. But the basic premise, and this isn't really revealed until the end. Uh-oh. But the basic premise is, but I think it helps to know, Uh-oh. is um, the, the, the woman is American, and the guy who cheats death, basically, um, and has extra time on Earth, falls in love with this American woman, and he's British. And basically, there's a trial in which heaven is put on is is trying to um, come to terms if he is actually in love uh, with this American. Like, if he actually is in love, then he gets to stay, and if not, then uh, he has to die. Um, so it's it's this movie sounds like it rocks. So the guy. So yeah. So the there's this trial that goes on, and it's kind of and the 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 main prosecutor is this was the first person ever killed by a british soldier in the revolutionary war so it's this american who's very anti-britain and then the the defendant lawyer is this dude who's he he's well i don't want to get into it but he's british and um and they so they basically it, it gets a little bit off of the story and it talks more about like these macro issues between britain and the uk and like how they're not too so different um wow and it's really intense it was so good it was so good um but yeah so i highly recommend it it was i just want to say i'm really surprised i'm looking at this movie and i'm hearing what you're saying and a matter of life and death seems so daring and and like not complicated but so precise and and beautiful and then like only it was only like two years ago they made a Canterbury tale, which is literally just a bunch of people running around trying to find a glue man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's just it's it's amazing to me. It's like glue the chase of the glue man, and then guy is trying to cheat death and get out of heaven. And British in America is not too. Di- that's that's crazy to me. It's madness. Yeah, but you know I gotta tell you. And I will right now. Um, they kind of were on a roll, these two. Yeah. So the next one was the one neither of us ended up watching. Black. Black Narcarsis. Narcarsis. Narco. So anyways, it's about um, uh, uh, what's it? Nuns. Um, and the thing that I, I, I saw about it is it, it was a transition into, cause Mike Powell, I mean, a few interesting quotes about Mike Powell is he said he never had a specific style. He was just cinema. Like everything he did was just through his experience through cinema. So he, it's hard which to kind of way pin to go, him I down. Guess. It's hard to pin him down. It's not like he's Hitchcock, which is like the Hitchcock style. It's like he he doesn't have a specific style. He just kind of went wherever he felt to go next. Um, and with the um, black nar- narcissus, nar- um, 
he was he was saying that like sometimes the theme is more important than the story and sometimes the colors are more important than the theme and so he's like saying so for this one he tried to specifically get rid of any color like a lot of color because he had the nuns wear either black or white um and so it was more focused on the theme and uh this was also the first time he started using a lot of music um in his movies in which he would record music and then shoot the and have like a playback while shooting it with the recording and they would shoot it with the music playing so the actor can go with the music um and uh, Powell was saying how this completely changed how he thought of uh, movies from then on. Obviously, also probably influenced by Emmerich, who is a musician. And Zach's laughing for some reason. Uh, I'm just imagining and, um, him like him sitting down and like seeing the playback and him freaking out, like like whoa. whoa so whoa, that, this so the is last crazy. the last movie that I watched was. Um, the actually the first movie I watched was called The Red Shoes. Ah yes. Um but I that love is the his Red most Shoes. Well probably one of his most well known movies. Probably most well um, uh, like not well watched, but most watched because it's very if uh, I think a lot of I at least our dear old mother um said that like this is the movie that um I guess like a lot of girls watched when they were growing up in the sixties or Yeah, I didn't get that. She said that this was like apparently a movie from her generation that a lot of young girls, women, well, I mean they were girls, uh, are supposed to watch, and it's not really, it's not really a pro women or pro men. It's not. I don't. I guess the main I think thing it's is because it's, it's ballet and there's a stereotype. Yes, but like in the '60s, you know, ballet is more of a girl thing. But I watched but it, it's, and I'm like. How dare you? Th- or not? It it is a movie for all genders of all fluidity because it's just it's a beautiful movie. Yeah, it was really it's well so done. So beautiful. It's like and it's it's based on a fable about um, this person who is given red shoes and she is a dancer and she ends up dancing herself to death. So the whole movie is kind of about working yourself to death. Um, it's like an early and, I version mean, of uh, Black Swan. Yeah, and that was kind of... Um, oh, yeah, exactly. And that was kind of... Uh, exactly. I mean, something that I think a lot of directors, and I think Scorsese, we bring his name up just because he kind of revitalized Powell. Huh. Um, in more way... Well, and, he, not, and, not Michael... Not uh, Martin Scorsese, but uh, Thelma Shoemaker definitely revised him, <laughs> if you get what I mean. Shut up. Um, and they were married. Uh, but no, he Scorsese has um, uh, one of the copies or one of the original red shoes used in filming, and there's this forty something second uh ballet that I was not expecting, that really changed. Like I was thinking the movie was going one way, and it was like it was just kind of this, this happy film about someone growing in their success. And then it switched like quickly turns into this like oh wow this is this is getting kind of nuts yeah. like this whole ballet kind of resembled what the whole movie has been about and then but it's shown halfway through the movie and I and the ballet was so incredible it was so well shot and I especially love the ending and I'm not going to explain it but I thought the ending was amazing um, no it's a it's a fantastic film but it's a great uh, movie I would suggest of the movies I've watched. I would just suggest the red shoes or uh, 
matter of life and death and as the two two to watch. For me, I would say Colonel Blimp uh, and Red Shoes. So Red Shoes definitely. I also really want to watch Forty Ninth Parallel, honestly, because well, I was seeing I was seeing some clips of that and it looked really interesting. Though once I, um, I I can figure out how I'm going to watch a matter of life and death, that movie actually looks pretty. Uh, dare I say it? Uh, yeah. Dope. Well, we're we're running out of time, but oh. we haven't gotten to the the the, the main... last one. So throughout the fifties, really, um, they Pressinger, Pressburger, and um, Powell kind of started going their separate ways. They they made some movies here and there, like The Tales of Hoffman. I think was like the last great Archer movie, um, and then which we haven't watched. But then by nineteen sixty, uh, Michael Powell makes a movie called Peeping Tom, which comes out in nineteen. It shoots it in nineteen fifty nine. Comes out in nineteen sixty. And it's kind of this, It's it was really forward-thinking for its time. Because um, it's a movie about, and Zach and I watched this a long time ago. Because um, um, Zach was reading um, Easy Rider, Raging Bull, and I guess they, so they not mentioned that how long, Okay, not it. that long. Well, I guess a long time ago. I was in college. We saw it when it came out. What? In 1960. I, oh, yeah, that's right. We're really old. <laughs> <laughs> um. No, but it, it it was it's considered the first one of the first or it came out a year before Psycho. First, uh, but it's about a first psycho killer serial killer. It's about a serial killer who was fairly abused by his parents, and and specifically his dad. And his dad would um film him his the the kid's reaction to like kind of traumatic stuff. Um, and then the 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 kid grew up and he went on to film himself killing people. And it was a movie all about voyeurism um, to the nth degree. And I think it's a great Halloween movie, honestly, since we're getting into that season. Spooky. Because it's 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 kind of shifting the blame onto the audience of, like, why do you like watching people Ooh, get killed? That's, I, so it's kind of cool. kind of a movie about, like, people, like... And also, like, I was seeing all this stuff about how this was the beginning of Cinema Verte, um, which started becoming a thing in around that time um, with the French New Wave and the British New Wave. And a lot of the things, like, this was very early. In, it was making fun of the, dot, like, of the very boring movies coming out at that time from the British um, studios. And it was kind of ushering in this new wave of you know, shaky cams, which I know you don't like, but, like, the shaky cam, but, like, like shooting on the street. I like them to a degree. Shooting on the street and stuff like that, and regardless, it was, it has a lot of stuff packed into it, but it was panned, destroyed, was attacked by the critics in Britain oh, so not badly. Oh, not, not, not only that, but, like, they, they, like, everybody, even, like, the studio was, like, yeah, buddy, we can't work with you anymore yeah so yeah his career was over at that point um he kind of ruined it. i mean he didn't ruin his career but the studios ruined his career um, and you know what's and crazy it, about this they, is albert what? hitchcock that same year made psycho and he made birds and you know frenzy yeah afterwards. but like i would say i would say peeping tom was a little bit more uh insane it, it was, was a little it, bit it, it was, was more a little bit more ex it was more in their sense more uh filthy or like yeah really delving into that and uh, to make him a long story short um the movie came was sent to a distribution company that eventually it just vanished 
And it became this film that was hard to watch. It was kind of like this cult classic that no one knew how to watch it. Still kind of hard to watch. Scorsese watched it. It's on Criterion Channel, right? No. No, oh, wait, no. Wait. All right. Know. Well, we watched it, but um, it was on. Um, but yeah, Scorsese saw it with Thelma Schoonmaker, and they loved it, and it really turned Scorsese on to Powell's whole career. And Scorsese, I think, of all the directors, Scorsese loves Powell. Like you know, I mean, uh, De Palma was more of a Hitchcock guy. He still liked Powell, but he was more of a Hitchcock guy. But I think Scorsese was a huge um, Powell fan. And uh, there's, like, the scene in Raging Bull where there's, like, a whip camera from uh, uh, De-, De Niro to, like, another boxer. And that was taken directly from the Red Shoes. Oh. Um, and they became friends. Um, also, because they, uh, Scorsese. It's funny you Scors- mentioned that because uh, the scene where in uh, the, uh, the Life and Death of uh, Colonel Blimp where uh, it's about to show the, the fencing scene, but then you never mm-hmm. see it, really. That mm-hmm. also was replicated in Raging Bull when they're like leading up to Jake um, LaMotta going into this fight, and then we never mm-hmm. see the fight. Or we see like a brief of it, and then we realize he loses later. Yeah, but they became really good friends, and Scorsese got the rights to Peeping Tom and re-released it and um, gave it the distribution that it was needed in like the 80s. And, um, and it- the... The one thing that I think is very uh, interesting is um, Thelma Shoemaker, a extremely essential editor uh, in our in this day and age, uh, married the man Michael mm-hmm. Powell in nineteen nineteen eighty in nineteen eighty four. Which is kind of, it's very Hollywood because, uh, I mean, Powell's like, he's like 80, no, he's 79 at this point. Mm -hmm. And Thelma is probably like in her 30s or 40s. So, you know, I mean, you know, marry whoever you want. Yeah, Um, I mean, it was was a happy marriage. uh, Very happy, I mean, until he died. Uh, Yeah, well, I mean, that's not happy, but the marriage was... And so before he before he died, um, so he, his his career wasn't revitalized at that point. He was kind of old, but it was more so he was given the 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 attention he so deserved. Um, he was not a um, you know disgraced director. Um, before that, in like '69, he made a movie called Age of Consent, which was kind of this sexy this guy, this older dude Ooh. finds a young girl and tries to make mm. her his muse. Oh. And it was a little bit weird. And then <laughs> I looked this up. The last movie he made was an Emmerich Press- Pressburger and was the writer and he was the director. And it was 1972 and it was called The Boy Who Turned Yellow. Uh-oh. And it was, as the movie describes, the boy just turns yellow. Oh, it, it wasn't. A, oh, I thought this was going to be a racist thing. No, it's it's not. It's the 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 kid loses his. The kid loses his pet mouse while on a tour of the Tower of London. (laughs) And then back in school, he's not very attentive and falls asleep during a lesson about electricity. So his teacher sends him home on the tube. There is a sudden flash and John 
the train and all passengers turn yellow. With the help of Nick, short for electronic, <laughs> John learns about electricity, invades the Tower of London, and saves his pet mouse. Or, or was, was it a it dream? dream? <laughs> and then it says, this is Powell and Press- Pressburger's touch applied to a children's film. And I wonder if this was commissioned by the electric company. <laughs> yeah, seriously. Um, I don't know. The poster looks disgusting, by the way. This, the poster yeah. for the it, it, the kids, I mean, like you can see a little of his rib cage. I mean, he looks, you know, very jaundice. Yeah, but it's, I saw the scene where everyone turns yellow and it is weird. It's just, he's just on a train bugging some woman and then what? it just, Wait, there's what a flash. Is, what does he do? He's just bugging, oh, bugging some woman. Bugging, sorry, I, I heard yeah. something else. No, no. He's bugging, like he's like shining a light at her or something. And then there's a flash and then everything's yellow. And he just runs out and everyone's like, does like a double take, like, whoa, like kind of thing. I'm looking at and the that thing. And that was the this... last movie they did together. Um, that came out in 1972. And uh, we're over time now. But that's, I mean, I mean, I don't want that to be the takeaway of his career. He was a very transformative director in the 40s who I think maybe in my opinion might have been one of the best directors of the 40s um i like his stuff more than what america was churning out like i don't really i'm not a huge fan of casablanca i'm not a huge fan of some of the film noir stuff that was coming out at the time you hate um, citizen kane i don't hate citizen kane oh yeah that's right you like but that. i think i always thought citizen kane was a movie from the 30s but it came out in 41 but i mean it um i I really liked his stuff. I think his his movies really did a, a great service for movies, and it really, um, you know, I think he was way ahead of his time. And I think a lot of the directors from like the six or like the directors from the late sixties, early seventies that we came to know of the American, um, the American New Wave, looked to him as an inspiration. And I think we should thank him for it, and we should watch his movies and appreciate him. Uh, how about on three we say. Thank you, Michael Pollan. <laughs> well, it's Pollan because his last movie was The Boy Who Turned Yellow. Uh, okay, yeah, we should not say his name wrong. We should say, on three, Sam, you and I, at the same time, we should say thank you very much. Thank thank you, Michael Powell okay. and Eric three. Pressburger. Okay. Three, three two, two, one. Two. One. One. Thank, thank you, you thank Michael, you, Michael Powell, and, and Emrick Fressberger. All right. Anyways, that's it for the episode. You Thanks. guys, this is. You should watch Pen Fifteen. I finished it, and I'm. <laughs> yeah. Screw Michael Powell. 